This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 19th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama's foreign policy is checkered, to say the least. His pledge to end a war ultimately became new fights in several more countries. Chris Preble, Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, comments. Having observed uh, Barack Obama in the White House uh, for eight years, what would you say is the biggest takeaway uh, or what is the biggest legacy that he leaves behind with respect to foreign policy? Well, it's obviously too soon to say, but I think, as our colleague Gene Healy and others have said, actually Barack Obama said this, he has left a loaded gun uh, in the hands of his successor in terms of executive power that's particularly relevant for foreign policy uh, in terms of uh, uh, the use of drones and unmanned vehicles and surveillance and things like that. I'll, I'll, you know, Gene is more eloquent and more knowledgeable on that point. I think that his legacy on foreign policy is largely a misconception. It's an important misconception. I think it's a misconception that has uh, informed the incoming president and his advisors, which is the the belief that Barack Obama was too unwilling to use force, that he was even uh, a dove. Um, I find these claims um, curious at best. Uh, he's a dove only in the sense that bombing people in at least seven countries simultaneously, only two of which had congressional authorization, um, is evidence of a dove. Um, uh, it, to me, it's, it seems strange indeed. Uh, and if you go down the list of uh, actual concrete uh, initiatives, military initiatives that President Obama launched over the course of eight years, um, is it possible that someone else in his position would have launched more wars and more attacks against more people? I suppose it is possible, uh, but it's certainly not true that he has been unwilling to use force uh, uh, in general. When I talked with uh, Ben Friedman about this, it, had Barack Obama not tried to uh, separate the idea of putting boots on the ground and dropping bombs on people, had he tried to make sure that those main, uh, remained essentially the same thing, and had he uh, respected the congressional role uh, in de- deciding to go to war, we might actually be at war in fewer places, both <laughs> because you lose the support of Congress, you lose the support of the public when you say, this is what war demands. But of course, war doesn't demand that as much anymore. That's right. So the reason why the president has opted for the so-called light footprint, not merely the use of unmanned vehicles and, and special operations forces and things like that, is because he's been unwilling to go as far as to say that many of the conflicts that the United States finds itself involved in uh, are not, in fact, uh, essential to U.S. national security. In fact, many of them actually undermine U.S. national security at times. He hasn't been willing to go that far. He suspects, I think, I, I, I'm sure, he would be criticized for that. He was criticized in the few instances when he didn't use force. Uh, and so he's he's tried to straddle this fence between uh, talking tough but not getting the United States involved, and as Ben says better than most, uh, the use of drones and the light footprint allows you to get involved with war in, in wars without actually being able to win them. Um, the, the other point I want to make is it, it is certainly true that the United States uh, since uh, 9-11 has struggled to win decisively in a number of conflicts, including most importantly in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, I do not think that is a reflection of either George W. Bush nor 
uh, Barack Obama's uh, decisions as commander in chief. I think it tells us more about the utility of military force and about how difficult it is to solve particular problems uh, uh, with uh, the U.S. military and the problems that we've attempted to solve uh, are uh, constructing a durable political order in uh, at least two places and, in fact, several others, and the U.S. military simply isn't very good at that. Now, the United States has... We've dropped a lot of bombs around the world in the name of national security, but how has Barack Obama fared with respect to uh, interventions that were for humanitarian purposes? Well, I think he has to be held account uh, in two or in two conflicts in particular. In the case of Libya, where he chose to get involved, uh, again, without explicit congressional authorization and with uh, really lackluster public support at best, um, the, Libya remains gripped in a civil war to this day, and I think it is at least worth speculating that uh, the harms to innocent people that have occurred in Libya since the downfall of Muammar Gaddafi uh, are, are uh, it seems to me, uh, as great or, or greater than what would have uh, occurred had Gaddafi remained in power. I think we have to at least contemplate the possibility that in that sense, uh, the humanitarian a aims of uh, protecting innocent civilians from harm, uh, that, that that intervention did not do that. What are we to take away from all of the, uh, the big diplomatic effort in the Bush administration to convince Gaddafi to give up his nuclear programs only to be toppled just a few years later. Right. I mean, I think it sends a, hor a horrible message, leaving aside the humanitarian question. I think it sends a very uh, a troubling message in terms of nuclear nonproliferation, which is uh, that once a country comes clean on its nuclear program uh, and agrees to sort of get right with the international community with the understanding uh, that they would be protect protected uh, and then gives up those weapons, uh, it's not surprising that countries like North Korea have pointed to the Libya case and say, we will not do what Muammar Gaddafi did. Uh, that was foolish. That was, uh, and we're not going to make that same mistake. With respect to how the United States treats its friends, uh, what can we say about Barack Obama's time in the White House? Countries and friends, countries having friends itself is a difficult proposition. Our uh, George Washington, no, no less a figure than George Washington, advised us against thinking of other countries of, of being our friends. Uh, countries have interests. Uh, and, and many times our interests do align with other countries around the world, call them our friends. Uh, but it should not surprise us when from time to time uh, different countries see things differently. Um, I think the, you know, the two friendships in, in particular that have, that have sort of been tested uh, are right side by side with one another, Egypt in the, in the wake of the Arab Spring and uh, the ongoing struggles between the Israelis and the Palestinians, um, uh, that in both cases uh, Barack Obama has been accused of, of uh, not keeping faith with our friends, uh, throwing, hosting Mubarak over the side in the course of the Arab Spring and uh, very late in his presidency, allowing uh, the UN uh, Security Council resolution to go forward on the uh, statement about uh, the uh, Israeli settlements in the occupied territories. Um, 
I think that uh, it is certainly possible to interpret both of those decisions uh, not as a as showing bad faith, uh, but as an expression of, uh, or at least a question of whether or not U.S. interests were advanced by either of those policies. And look, this is something we're going to debate for a long, long time, and and uh, I don't I don't expect to resolve it here today. Uh, as I always like to point out when I talk to our foreign policy guys, is that trade is the most one of the most important foreign policies that uh, a country can have. And Barack Obama's uh, pitch on behalf of trade was not; it's the source of ninety nine point nine nine percent of all wealth that all humans enjoy on the planet. Uh, it was well, we got to do this, or some other country is going to do it. Right. Yeah, I do think. Uh, and I, I agree completely with what Dan Eikenson and the other folks in the Trade Department have said that that Barack Obama pitching the you know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, for example, as a, a geostrategic uh, chip to be played against the Chinese uh, was uh, was really wrong-headed, and I think it backfired. Uh, and it uh, sounds an awful lot like our incoming administration <laughs> if you yes. put, if you put it on paper like that. Right. I mean, to to cast trade as a zero-sum game as something that you win and the other side loses, um, I think is is really uh, problematic. It's misleading, and uh, and it ultimately did not serve Barack Obama uh, well. Uh, the the support for the TPP was quite uh, weak, um, and of course, uh, you know, all evidence is that even if Hillary Clinton had been elected president, she would also not have been a great enthusiastic supporter of the TPP. So. So I agree that that uh, pitching trade as a sort of uh, a geostrategic trump card is is a mistake. To the extent that the U.S. has been involved in Syria, and I, I remember Barack Obama saying, "I have full authority to engage with Syria, but I'm going to ask Congress nonetheless to make this decision for me," which indicated, at least at the time, that maybe he wasn't that interested in. Uh, an intervention in Syria. However, here we are. Maybe he wasn't that interested, or maybe he, along with nearly everyone else in Washington, was surprised by the public uh, uprising that occurred in August and September of 2013 in reaction to the mere possibility that the United States might launch military strikes uh, against Syria. Uh, you know, what we have to say about the Syrian civil war is this is a horrible tragedy. It's killed hundreds of thousands of people and driven millions of people from their homes. And it's 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 incredibly tragic. Uh, but I do think we can also say in retrospect uh, that U.S. policy obviously has not brought about a, a resolution of the conflict. And I think uh, it is uh, it is unwise to believe that uh, that we we had some magic silver bullet to, to solve this problem. I I look at the what's happening in Syria and what has been happening in Syria. It's again a reflection of this deep political dysfunction, a lack of of uh, common authority, and uh, the ability of the United States or frankly any outside actor to to fix it is 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 uh, is very uh, problematic. On the on the flip side, a number of outside actors have fueled the civil war, and I think they uh, uh, have to be held account. Uh, for how uh, horrific and, and violent this thing has and how, how protracted it's become. Chris Preble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.